0: Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Negotiate Real Change Podcast, where we highlight leaders who are creating positive change in their organizations. The more we talk to leaders in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, the more we started to recognize the patterns of successful change makers within organizations. What we found is that when it comes to creating positive change, simply being a passionate professional who's armed with data, statistics, and research is rarely enough to create real change. So in this show, we'll share the secrets behind what it really takes for you to be a successful advocate, ally, and change maker in your organization. My name is Kwame Christian and I am the founder and CEO of the American Negotiation Institute where we conduct negotiation and conflict resolution trainings that help to make your difficult conversations easier. We also conduct trainings in the field of diversity, equity, and inclusion because we realize that there's a difference between passion and persuasion. And if you want to create real change, you have to be able to negotiate and resolve the conflict that comes with change. And if you're interested in learning more about what we do, make sure to check out the American Negotiation dot com or check the link in the description of this episode. And now, without further ado, let's get into the interview. Natalie, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. So how about you get us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
1: Sure. Well, my name is Natalie Eicher. I am co-founder and co-CEO of medical also a certified diversity executive, a certified coach, a speaker, and I think my most important role, I'm a mother to 2 wonderful children. Um, prior to Metacool, um, which was uh, co-founded about 5 years ago... Um, I was in the technology industry. I was in sales for the majority of my career um, before medical. And then uh, towards the end of my, uh, my work in the technology industry, I was um, starting to transition into diversity, uh, you know, equity, inclusion work. And it really gave birth to, you know, to medical. And I guess I'll do a little brief background on who Medical um, is as well. So Medical is a global consultancy that provides coaching and talent development programs. And we help organizations, you know, typically those in male-dominated industries, you know, really focus on better retaining, engaging, and advancing its gender diverse talent. Um, so we have these more whole person focused. Um, programs that incorporate a really unique coaching methodology. Um, so yeah, it's it's been about 5 years now, and it's very, very fulfilling work. And we're really um, just so excited to work with the client partners that we get to work with that are so publicly committed to you know, gender equity and really um, making like very systemic change within their organizations.
0: That is great. Well, kudos, kudos. Anytime a business makes it to five years, that's a big deal and a testament nice. to their founders too. So kudos on that.
1: It's been a wild ride. It's been fun.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, I can only imagine, only imagine. That's that's great. Well, so with this episode, there's so many different ways that we could take this, mm-hmm. right? And um, we could go for the, like how to advocate for yourself. I know that's a lot of the the, the work that you all do. Mm-hmm. Um, we could talk about why it's so important to have gender equity within these companies. Absolutely. But we're going to take a little bit of a different angle here. And we're going to talk about one of the interesting interesting gaps that's in the industry that you have identified. And then we're going to talk about how we could use negotiation and conflict resolution skills to address those gaps. So when you think about the, um, what's missing from what you've seen, how would you describe that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, there's a lot of... Especially in our industry, right? and in talent development and coaching, there's a lot of companies... Out there that are, are really focused on, you know, programs and coaching to help women, you know, advocate for themselves, you know, to speak up, have a seat at the table, break the glass ceiling. Right? You hear it all, um, and those are all wonderful things, right? I think you know, um, you know, women crave, you know, a development, a different type of development that really acknowledges the different barriers that that they face, um, especially within male-dominated industries. Um, But, you know, this whole, you know, just fix women approach is really not the answer, right? Just providing them with, hey, how can you fight imposter syndrome? How can you be, you know, more assertive? How can you self promote? You know, that's not the only answer. And I think one of the things I want to talk about today is just the need for this more holistic approach in order for us to truly you know reach and approach gender parity right for us to see organizations that are more gender balanced and so you know what we're on a mission to do is how do we incorporate into programs and the work we're doing with clients you know this holistic picture picture that still of course in our programs has You know, these elements of how do you have the conversations about self-advocacy and, of course, sharpen those skills. But how do you involve management and leadership in the conversations of, you know really uh, fighting gender bias when it comes to retaining and uh, engaging and advancing gender diverse talent. And then how do you as a company, right, have the right um, processes, procedures in place, um, the right um, you know, tools that leadership and employees can really leverage to try to take that bias out of the equation or even acknowledge that it exists and, and to um, again, put the right parameters and processes in place so that women can truly be successful within, within the organization. So that more holistic picture to me is what you know is what's going to move, move the needle on, on gender equity.
0: I love this. It, this is really great. And I, now for you, you have been in this space for a really long time and you have a lot of experience here. So I want to go deeper into one of the things that you said, mm-hmm. because I um, I don't want people to overlook this yeah. because the fixed women approach mm-hmm. is really <laughs> it's 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 a really interesting topic to explore. So let's dig into that because again, yeah. a lot of people focus on that as the solution. And you're saying, mm-hmm. no, we need to have a more holistic approach. So let's address the fixed woman approach with a little bit more depth.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, this is something that just, you know, Irksman, it's been around for a while where, you know, companies are like, hey, you know, we really need to to see more women in leadership. And so we're gonna throw a bunch of money. At you know, helping women again fight that imposter syndrome, be more confident, you know, give them opportunities at mentorship. Again, some of those things are great and I think are a sliver of what's important. But what we're doing when we're just kind of isolating women and saying, here are the things you need to do differently, you need to, you know. Speak up in meetings. You need to, you know, be more assertive. You need to, you know, walk that fine line between being too, you know, very, um, you know, assertive and being nice. Right? There's a lot of the messaging in the fixed women approach that that really, I think, feeds into this bias that exists called the double bind, where it's essentially, you know, walking that tight. Tightrope between these stereotypes that exist for women, where you know, in order to be seen, for example, as leaders, they need to be assertive and you know make uh, make uh, you know decisions, but also be nice and collaborative, and you know it's it's exhausting for women, right? So what happens when you see programs that only do that? Is you kind of have these these programs that exist in a vacuum? What happens is you get women together that go through programs, that go through these trainings, they work with coaches, and they emerge from these programs with, say, more confidence, with learning how to advocate for themselves, how to negotiate. But then it's impossible for them to be um, truly successful a lot of times within these organizations because the rest of the ecosystem was not engaged. The managers that they report into... Have no idea what type of barriers they're facing. They're not bringing to light, you know, the the bias that prevents them from being promoted after they've even been through a program like this. Um, and then, you know, you look at the company as a whole, right? And with them not having, if the company doesn't have the right procedures in place, or even the policies for how to, you know, how do people get promoted? And you know, how do we address, you know, having uh, you know, objective uh, promotion criteria and hiring criteria and all of these things. So the fix it approach at the end of the day is is just, you know, unfortunately not the long term solution and will um, still um, ensure that we are behind when it comes to to gender equity if we're not engaging the entire ecosystem within a company.
0: Learn more at tiaa dot org backslash promises pay off. Well said, and y- you know I was as, again my my base is negotiation, and yeah. um, I do uh, I I've, I've, I like to read a lot. And for when it comes to some of these books on the topic of gender dynamics and negotiation, I'm realizing that a lot of it was written from a male perspective, like still a male dominated perspective. And I think um, one of the best ways of encapsulating the challenge with that perspective is this. And it was a LinkedIn comment that I got on on one of my posts and was eye-opening. And uh, the woman said blaming women's negotiation skills for gender inequity is the ultimate form of gaslighting.
1: Yes. And oh, that's so beautifully I, said.
0: <laughs> And I said, wow, you're absolutely right. Because yes, it's great to have these tools and everything like this, but it's so important for us to, to realize that, um, hey, we have some serious systemic problems within our companies mm-hmm. and we need to address this.
1: No, I just, I love that comment for so many reasons, but it is, she, she, he or she, right? So right with that. And there's so much research on, on this, especially that comes out around, you know, talking about gender pay gaps. And I think there's a big uh, following of people who believe that women are not as ambitious as men, um, that they're less assertive and that they're just less likely to ask for things in the first place, you know, specifically when it comes to negotiation, Um, But there's all of this research coming um, out that, you know, really demonstrates that the reason um, why you see gender pay gaps and all of these other things where where women are are not successful in negotiations, um, you know, if, if at all, is that because they face backlash, um due to gender gender stereotypes right where you know whether people believe that they have these biases or not you know some people think that it's you know not appropriate for women to you know act aggressively and ask for that that raise or to negotiate certain things so you know that's what um, is actually coming out and continues to come out in the research is that it's it's not that women don't want to want you know raises or to negotiate it's it's that there's this ingrained um fear of of backlash that happens because of of these biases that exist
0: yeah absolutely and so that that gives us an opportunity to transition a bit mm-hmm. to how we can be better advocates how we can be better allies and how we can actually create real change and you mentioned it before it comes down to creating change at the systemic level within these organizations so So now considering what we just talked about um, and recognizing that we need to focus our efforts um, when it comes to change management towards the systems more so than the individuals, what are some of those systems policies or or cultural changes that need to happen within organizations in general?
1: I really think, you know, and I'm also trying to think about like from the lens of like, you know, anyone, what can they do to impact this change within, within their company? Um, So I think, you know, as an example, one of these things is, um, you know, wage transparency, right? Things like wage transparency or having really clear processes related to um, negotiations, you know, um, uh, promotions, salaries, things like that. Because what happens is when an individual... Isn't really clear on what's up for negotiation or what is the criteria that decisions are being based on, that ambiguity um, is really detrimental, right? And so if I'm an individual trying to, to affect change within my organization, you know, when it comes to some of those areas where you know negotiation tends to, to, to really be front and center, like. Um, when people are being hired into a company, when they're getting promoted, you know things like that, is to ask, you know, what am I being, what am I being measured against? Like, what are the clear, you know, objective criteria um, so that I can come to the table and negotiate against those things? You know how I'm, uh, how I'm able to showcase my performance against these things. So, you know, there's a lot of times when. You know our coaches are working with clients, um, and they're talking about preparing for that promotion. Where it's like, you know, if you aren't getting direction on what what is needed to be promoted to the next level or what you need to get a salary increase, ask your organization, you know, for clarity. Or if it doesn't exist, ask the tough questions on why. Right? You know to. You know, to know that within an organization, there isn't really crystal clear, um, you know, rules on what does it take to be successful? What does it take to get promoted? Um, So, everything from, you know, making sure that there are clear processes around promotions and salary increases. Um, but then another thing, if you're within an organization as a hiring manager, um, within you know, talent acquisition, any of those spaces, and you're talking about attracting diverse talent, a big pitfall is asking them, what did you make in your previous role? Right, Which is very, very common. But because women in historically underrepresented talent are oftentimes so underpaid... You know, we're perpetuating that issue by basing their salary at your company based on what they made before. So, I think there's a lot, you know, depending on your role that um, that you can do to question these processes that really need to um, be questioned and and implemented within an organization to make sure that women and underrepresented talent um, are truly able to be successful and able to negotiate against you know, things that help remove some of the bias, biases that exist just naturally.
0: This is great. This is great. So much to explore here. Right. And so I, I, let's start with what you just said at the end. We we have to find legitimate objective criteria in mm-hmm. order to combat the biases that exist naturally. And that's yeah. so important for us to realize that these biases are natural. They don't make us bad. They make us human. We all yes. have biases. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we have to address the biases so we can make sure that they're not having a, an inappropriate impact on the decisions that we're making. And uh, a negative impact on on people and in this conversation we're re- we're talking about women in the workplace. Yeah. And now one of the things that you talk you you mentioned that was really great is the importance of starting with curiosity mm-hmm. because we're talking about the need to understand the or create legitimate objective criteria for these decisions that we're making so biases don't creep in. Mm-hmm. But we need to see what the criteria is right now. In order to determine where the, the criteria needs to be that's exactly. part of negotiation too this negotiation ultimately is an information game the more information you have the better off you are so the first exactly. step in being an advocate or an ally in this situation is talking to the people who have the power the people who are making the decisions and inquire how those decisions are making are being made and then we can get get that information Take it back to our little lab, right? And think and think through it, see, okay, what works, what doesn't work, those type of things. And now we can come with a proposal for change, and that's where the negotiation begins. And I I think this is really, really interesting too. And again, a simple example you gave is just removing the question, what did you make in your previous role from the hiring process? That is a procedural. Structure that is in place that once removed eliminates a lot of bias because it's not just the fact that it will, like talking about the previous wage, will have an impact on the employer with what they deem appropriate to offer. Just understanding the psychology of anchoring in negotiation. We have an episode on that. That's one of my favorite things to teach on. Um, It's going to have an impact on you in your own negotiation as well. Just your mindset. You're going to be focused on what you made before, not what you're currently, what you currently should be making. And it's going to mean that you're going to be less aggressive in the negotiation when you have a lot more room to negotiate for more. So there was, there was a lot of depth to what you said. I I really appreciate that.
1: And I even, you know, think about, you know, when it comes to, you know, asking these questions about, you know, what, how is it that I'm being evaluated? So everything from a performance review um, to again, you know, actually getting promoted. What does it take to, to reach the next levels you know, all the time in our programs, we're, we're helping um, a lot of women cre- create their, like a very tangible uh, career development plan and something very tangible that they can, that really brings to light their accomplishments, um, who they are, what makes them unique, you know, where they want to go in their career, what they're doing to get there. And then you know we're we're always coaching um, you know them to, to map those things that they're putting in here to um, what they're what they're going for. So let's say they want to take on a new role within the organization. It's a people leadership role. So how can you you know highlight your accomplishments in such a way that um, and your value that maps to what are the expectations of a people leader within your organization? And if you don't have, if you can't get a straight answer from your organization, from your manager on what does it mean at this company to be in that position, to take on a leadership role. You're you're negotiating in the dark. You're presenting your value in a way that you don't know is going to be in line with what they're looking for so that you can see the trickle-down effect of... You know, of not having that clarity, not having those objective measurements for what it takes to get a salary increase, get promoted. You know, really succeed within the organization. So a lot of times, you know, the individual women will coach them to say, "If you do not have that clarity, go in and seek that clarity. Ask the tough questions. Question the process. The whole processes of of how performance reviews are. If you're getting feedback from your manager." you know, or from peers, right? So much of the feedback we receive on a daily basis are from our peers as well. If you're getting feedback that doesn't have, um, you know, doesn't have specifics, um, you know, that about noticeable behaviors, or if there's not um, feedback that is, that can be mapped back to expectations of you and your role, you know, you should go, seek that additional clarity, you should go ask them for, um, you know, for them to have another conversation with you about it. Or if you see that there is... Um, if you can very um, clearly see that there is bias in the feedback that they're delivering, how do you bring that to their attention and and call it in, as we like to talk about? Um, so that that manager, that person can do better, can be, can bring that into their awareness that, you know, the feedback or the conversations that they've they've had with you, you know, do have the bias that again, we're all human to your point earlier. And that we all have these biases.
0: Yeah. And you said something in passing that I want to dig in on because yeah. this is really important when you said calling in mm-hmm. versus calling out. Can you explain that discrepancy? Yes.
1: Um, this is something that, i'm I'm really passionate about. I think people get really nervous about so-called calling people out when they witness discrimination, bias, um, because people can you know, really become defensive. It's a lot of times a, a natural reaction. Why well, I didn't mean that? That wasn't my intention. And so one of the things we talk about with women in our our programs is, You know, you are going, as you know, you are going to face, you know, bias um, a little bit differently than others, you know, that are, um, you know, the majority within your organization. But what do you do? How do you call in versus calling out? And so, calling in is essentially a way of, you know, coming back to the person after you've witnessed um, some type of bias and saying to them, hey, I know this probably wasn't your intention, but I wanted you to know when you said this, this is how you made me feel. Or or even just these open-ended, curious questions like, what did you mean when you said that? Or did you consider how that may have made so-and-so feel? Let's say you're an observer to you know, uh, bias. And the calling in is essentially getting curious and asking questions um, about, you know, that person's uh, what they were thinking, why they did it, and, and it, it kind of brings the defenses down and allows you to have a conversation It allows them to really internalize what they said, think about it, again, bring into their awareness where there might be these biases um, versus calling out which is still a strategy to be used. We talk a lot about like, you should call someone out if there is immediate harm that's being done or if you feel like you need to interrupt and redirect to prevent further harm. So if someone says something that's riddled with bias in front of a, a meeting, a group of people where you feel that if you don't you know, interrupt in that moment and call them out, that there would be tremendous damage, right? So calling in is a more... Um, I would say curious, thoughtful approach to still addressing it, um, but making sure that we are as much as possible disarming that that natural defensiveness that happens. And you know, it's interesting. We did a lot of um, uh, trainings with clients back in in March around uh, International Women's Day, where we talked a lot about you know calling. In um, when we witnessed gender bias, and we we took a lot of polls within with like I think it was like twelve different organizations that we did this with, and the majority of people in every single company that we worked with said that when they witness gender bias, either when it's there on the receiving end of it or they witness it, um, that they ignore it, that they don't that they don't take action um, to either call in or call out that person and. I think that was really, really eye opening to know that, you know, the majority um, of, of people are, um, don't feel confident or equipped in how to address when gender bias is happening because it happens all the time.
0: Yeah it's this there's so much to explore here <laughs> what you said Natalie so but uh, I I want to uh just be respectful of time but I want to s- circle back to some of these things um again really really profound and insightful things that you said you said lower defenses You talked about being disarming and you talked about avoiding defensiveness, Mm -hmm. right? And I really want to focus in on those concepts because when we are having these difficult conversations, it's not just about making sure we're communicating effectively and persuasively. It's also about making sure we're navigating the conversation in a way where we're mindful of avoiding unnecessary resistance to the conversation. Because sometimes if we are overly aggressive, we call people out, we use shame-based strategies for having Mm -hmm. these conversations, people get defensive. And when you think about the root word of defensive, we're talking about defense. They're protecting something. What are they protecting? Mm -hmm. They're protecting their ego. They're protecting their sense of self, their perception of themselves as a good person. Mm -hmm. And they feel like they need to put their guard up but if you approach it in a way where it's more collaborative, calling them in, showing yes. them that you care about them and the situation and making things better, it makes it more likely for them to accept what it is that you're saying. So you Absolutely. can have two different approaches, right? You can have the more aggressive approach where you're very direct and you might be correct. But mm-hmm. we also have to remember there's a difference between being right and being persuasive and approaching the conversation in a way that lowers defensive is, defensiveness is a much more persuasive way to do it.
1: Absolutely. And I think just to add on to that when you think about you know because we're talking a lot about um, you know gender bias and just biases in general, right? When you do call someone out and it might come from a place of being a really very emotional response instead of getting curious and asking, you know, what did you mean by that, or you know, or, or you know, stating, um, you know, or, or approaching it with like anger. Um, that further perpetuates bias, you know, for example, like there's a lot of um, research um, out there, you know, when it comes to even when you think about like intersectionality within women, right? Um, Women of color, when they tend to be like really, really call people or things out right there, you know, a lot of um, women of color say, I get stereotyped then as the angry black woman, right? Because I'm, you know, going off on someone about some the inexcusable behavior. But again, it can really further perpetuate these stereotypes. So, um, and I had someone maybe six months ago, call me in about um, a perceived microaggression. And it was like, the way she did it was just beautiful. Um, it really helped to truly disarm helped me get off my, you know, not be defensive and truly think about and have a conversation about um, the, the microaggression. And it's 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 just, impo- it's important, I think, work and um, education around, you know, how we can have these really tough conversations about something that ultimately, if, if people are more aware of these biases, you know, this sets you know, you know, especially underrepresented, you know, talent to be more successful in having, nego- you know, successful negotiations, tough conversations.
0: Yes. Well said. And there is so much more to explore here, but just for the sake of time, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up. And I know people are saying, please, Kwame, don't, I want more. Well, <laughs> There is a way to get more. So Natalie, before you go, can you let them know about medical, how to get in touch with you and about the work you do? Yes, absolutely.
1: So, um, you know, you can hear more about Medical on our website, you know, www.medical.com. You can send us an email, hello at medical.com. And um, I would say the thing that we would love to hear from people about are, again, those companies that are wanting to, you know, look further into, you know, what their organizations can do to better retain and advance their, you know, gender diverse and historically underrepresented talent. Um, even, you know, those, um, you know, women listening that, you know, would be curious at about bringing medical into their organizations and really seeing that change.
0: This is great, Natalie. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show.